Well, good morning to everyone. It's good to be here with you today. I want to talk about something that I think most of us, if not all of us here, wrestle with. And that is the subject of decision-making and the will of God. I assume that some of you are still uncertain about what's going to happen this summer. Or even whether you should come back to Heritage next year or get a job or go to university. Those are decisions that we need to make. And if we really love the Lord, we want to do his will, right? So how do I make sure that I make the right decision? A better question could be, is there really a right decision? Ooh. I want you to turn with me to a verse in Deuteronomy in chapter 29. It's the last verse in chapter 29, and I have found this to be a very helpful verse in thinking through this whole subject. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. Remember, the book of Deuteronomy is a book written to the Israelites as they're about to go into the promised land. It's the second reading, you could say, of the law, getting them ready to go in as the covenant people of God. And so, in really, these chapters, he is outlining what, if you obey me, blessing. If you disobey me, curse. And in the midst of all of this, he says... The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of his law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. I have to burn that into my own mind and heart because too often, the secret things, things I just mentioned before, I think belong to me, really. Or I realize God knows them and God wants a certain path, but I think they belong to me. And the reality is this verse is saying, no, they don't. What does belong to you are the things that are revealed in God's scriptures. Those things are not hard to find, they're there. So I think that for us, in trying to figure out and determine the will of God for our lives, the most important thing we can do, and this is really the, the whole message in many ways, is many ways just trusting God and doing what it is that I know he wants me to do according to his will. That is what he has revealed. I think certainly it is something that all Christians strive for, that is that they strive to want to do the will of God, those who are true believers. For my own example, I could give you when we came here to Heritage as a family. That was 19 years ago. And when we came, I was uh, of the age of 45, um, not exactly early in my life. My children were nine and six, I believe. 
And we were moving from the country to the city. I was pastoring at the time, and I was having a great time in the pastorate. It was a a beautiful church and uh, had great leaders in the church, and they allowed me to do my thing, which was to preach and teach and get involved in some other things. But it was the ideal situation, one could say, for a pastor with my gifts. We actually didn't want to come here. We were, uh, I had three options actually to go places. One was in the US and one was another place and one was in Canada here and I wanted to go to the US and get paid better. (laughs) So we prayed about it and it seemed to me that I had to go the route of the school that There was no reason to say no. I met with the people and carried forward, but I didn't really want to go. My elders even said you should go. So what did we do? I felt like what? Not going. But I knew that the right step was to go. Why? Because I had all these circumstances and factors coming together And I believe that we were seeking the Lord in all of this, and through it he led. What I want to do is really, in this brief message, is is look at some false concepts of decision-making, and then look at the true way of decision-making. So what are some false concepts that we can get caught up with? Um, I think there isn't any doubt that lots of people want to know what the will of God is. Gary Friesen says, interest in the subject of guidance is consistently high. The demand for magazine articles and books on the subject continues unabated. People continue to seek guidance on guidance. This is good. But we need to make sure we're seeking it in the right way. It's a little bit unbalanced, too, that I get so worried about whether I'm making the right decision or not. I think some of the false concepts are based on this basic model of what we call the blueprint model. That is, we think that God has a blueprint in heaven for my life, and I need to follow that blueprint. And if I go off base in the blueprint, then I am going to be on a second-rate path. J.I. Packer says, speaking about this, God's, as though this is, he's speaking as one who would believe this. He doesn't, but he's speaking for one. God's plan for your life is like an itinerary drawn up for you by a travel agent. As long as you're in the right place at the right time to board each plane or train or bus or boat, all is well. But miss one of these pre-planned connections and the itinerary is ruined. A revised plan can only ever be second best compared with the original plan. The assumption is that God lacks either the will or the wisdom to get you back on track. A substandard spiritual life is all that is now open to you. You may now be on the scrap heap, but you are, you may not be on the scrap heap, but you are on the shelf, having forfeited much of your usefulness. 
Your mistake sentences you to live and serve God as a second-rate Christian. All too many people have gone into marriages, gone to different schools, taken different jobs, moved from one place to another, and they realize afterwards it was a mistake. I mean, clearly it was a mistake. And they think, I guess I'm done now. I still will live for the Lord, but I'm not going to be as I could have been. I need to inform you that this is not right thinking. This is certainly not the way the early church, even up through the Reformation period, thought. People did not think this way about decision-making and God's will. Some examples that follow this type of thing to try to figure out the right thing to do are drawing lots as they did in the Old Testament. People still would do that today. Or looking for some eternal signs that will, you know, tell them that's the way I should go. Looking for strong internal impressions in their minds. Almost like a gut deep feeling. Blindly opening their Bibles and pointing a finger and reading the verses without any consideration to the context. And even some people think that I should always do that which I hate to do or is most irrational to do. That's what God's will is. All of these reflect what I would call a more magical, now-oriented, and I would call selfish, short-termed, short-term-oriented mindset. Simply stated, it is an immature way of determining the will of God. These are not the biblical ways, and when I say biblical ways, the normal biblical ways of determining the will of God in any area that I am unsure of, in the unrevealed areas. I'm certainly not saying that God may not use them at times, and he certainly has. He's used them in the Bible, and he's used them in people's lives. But they are not the normal way, not the normal way of doing and finding the will of God. So what is a right concept? Well, we said the right concept is to follow the will of God that is revealed. And to do that, I need to understand a couple of things. One I need to understand is, what is God's part in the decision-making that I am making about this particular thing? And what is my part? What does God say I own? From God's part, we're clearly told that these unrevealed things belong to him. And that means that he is saying, I am sovereign and I am in control of these things. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians says that he works out everything in accord or in conformity with the purpose of his will. And I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 16. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Who's sovereign here? Who's Lord here? Not me. Remember Daniel 4 and Nebuchadnezzar? 
He says these words, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Get this, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He is sovereign, and he's even sovereign in the mistakes that we make. Isn't that amazing? He's not condoning the mistakes, but he's sovereign in them. All things work together for good to them that love God. That's an amazing statement. That's a, that's a faith statement to believe that. In addition to him being sovereign, he is also loving. And he is also wise. As I said, all things work together for good to them that love God. Is that not saying that obviously he is aware of all the factors that go into whatever is going to happen in your life? He is wisely and lovingly guiding us in his sovereignty to the end that he wants for us. All things work together for good. In Romans 8 and verse 32, he says, He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us everything that is best for us? The question is, how does he guide his people? I think there's three simple things. One, he does shape our circumstances. And I want to say that he shapes those circumstances in the midst of the decisions that you're making that sometimes aren't what good ones. He shaped, for example, the Apostle Paul, didn't he? What was God's will for Paul to be the apostle of the Gentiles? Well, he lived at least 30, if not more, years outside of that determination. He lived as a Jew and learned as a Jew and learned even as a Roman. He understood many things and was given many, many gifts and it was all prepared for the time that he would be used greatly. My circumstances and even the mistakes that I make, I can think of all the different mistakes. I wasn't converted till I was 22. All the things that I did before I can look back now and I can say the Lord, I, I mean, I, not good things in many ways, but in many ways I was preserved. That was the sovereign will of God and he directed my life so that I could be one day here teaching. Even those 22 years before when I certainly wasn't making godly decisions. So how does God do? What's his part? He shapes our circumstances. He's constantly doing that as our sovereign, loving, wise God. And then the second thing he does is he gives us the wisdom. He gives us really the gift of wisdom. And in many ways, the gift of wisdom is twofold. It's the word of God and the spirit of God. John Newton said this. Remember John Newton was the great slave trader who eventually became a believer. 
in the 18th century, he said this, but how then may the Lord's guidance be expected? In general, he guides and directs his people by affording them, in answer to prayer, the light of his Holy Spirit, which enables them to understand and to love the scriptures. The word of God is not to be used as a lottery, nor is it to be designed to instruct us by shreds and scraps, which detached from their proper places have no determinant import, but it is to furnish us with just principles, right apprehensions to regulate our judgments and affections and thereby influence and direct our conduct. What he's really saying is the Bible's been given to you. It is what you own. It's what is revealed to you. Obey it. Just follow it. The Spirit of God delights to open the Word of God and give us his heart and mind. So, for example, should I do this or that thing? Should I participate in this hobby or that activity? Should I go to that school or this school? Should I get married to this person or that person? It might even be, which one should I start dating? It's not unusual in my past that I would have like two or three girls that I'm interested in. Which one do I start with? I'm not saying that they were going to say yes, but I had to have at least a start. Well, I, you know, if I'm going to make decisions like this, I'm going to ask questions that are biblical questions. Is, is this choice that I'm going to make, is it going to hurt others or is it going to bless others? Is it going to hurt me? Is it going to make me go in ways that I shouldn't go? Is it the best choice? This is one thing that I think is very important for your age bracket because there is a danger amongst Christians of your age bracket, and it carries right through with all ages, but in particular, that you say, if the Bible doesn't sell me I can't do it, that means I can. That's wrong-headed. What you ask is, what is the best thing for God? And then you do it. Because there could be two things that are neutral scripturally, but in principles, this is the better route to go because it brings more glory to God. What this means specifically is that God gives me the gift of his wisdom through his word and by his spirit. And as I seek the Lord and look to him in prayer, he helps me to apply and understand the principles and precepts that he's given me in his word. This gift of wisdom is the most important thing that God has given me. He's given me his words. The secret things belong to him. The revealed things belong to me. He wants me to act on them. So not only does he guide our experiences and our circumstances... Not only does he give us the gift of his word, but I want you to understand he also guides you by putting desires in your hearts. I think there's a misconception again amongst us to think that some of the things that we just love to do, God can't really want us to do those things. That's so unfortunate. The scripture says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of the heart, your heart. As you continue to seek God and, and, and spend time with him in prayer and in study, and I know that's sometimes taxing at this time as exams are coming on and things like that. You know, as you fill your heart and your mind with the things of God and with God, those desires just bubble out. And the things that you really enjoy doing are actually things that honor the Lord, give pleasure to him. So, when I see God's part in my decision-making, God uses this combination of his providence over my circumstances, the scriptures through the Holy Spirit, and my God-given desires. And J.I. Packer says, any supposed guidance that deviates from the Bible, the limits of possibility set by providence, and the discernment of the regenerate heart as to what most honors and pleases our Savior God must be judged phony and elusive. So then we ask from God's side, what is the key to determining the will of God in the unrevealed areas? It is simply, it is by God's providence he leads us as we obey the revealed things and he guides us as we pray and lean on him for that. By saying that, I'm already starting into the understanding our part. What is our part? Our part in this, we see what God's part is. I need to recognize what God's part is. But now I need to think about what is my part. And I think J.I. Packer has a, has a very helpful statement. He says, my part is to choose the wisest means to the noblest end, namely the advancing of God's kingdom and glory. Let me repeat that again. To choose the wisest means to the noblest end. What's the noblest end? the advancing of God's kingdom and glory. If you're a believer here, you, you, that's your heart. Your heart is that God will be glorified. And therefore, what's my part? My part is to make choices that will honor that. And you know what the amazing thing is? I've been a Christian now for 40 years. You know what the amazing thing is? When I pursue those things, I am the happiest man. I'm enjoying myself the most. Contrary to what we might think or what the world will tell us, I'm actually having most delight when God is most glorified. It is true. So then how do we come to have this mindset? Well, several things. And again, I've already mentioned them. I'm going to press them again. You need to have a heart and mind where you think of your destiny, your home, your citizenship is in heaven. Abraham was looking for a city which wasn't here on earth. The writer of Hebrews wants to make clear that our hope is in heaven, in glory, in the place of really, ultimately, the new heavens and the new earth. I need to have that kind of mindset that I'm thinking the things of this world are not the important things. Secondly, 
My conscious purpose is not my fulfillment and happiness, but God's glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And thirdly, and this is very important in our pleasure-oriented society, we need to realize that we are people of the cross. And being people of the cross means we bear the cross. Now, praise the Lord, we're not always suffering. But I don't think we should see suffering as abnormal for us as believers. Generally, that's what it means. We need to have a Christ-like mindset, or we could call it a heavenly mindset, and that only comes about as we are in his word. So that means we need to really, specifically, we need to be into the word of God to determine what the commands and principles are. And in particular, when I'm thinking about a particular thing that I want to decide, I need to be thinking about what principles and what passages of scripture can actually help me in this decision-making process, especially if it's a big one, you're going to want all the help you can get. So for example, if I wanted to buy a house, some of the principles I might think of is I want to make sure that my mortgage doesn't put me over the top. I don't borrow more money than I can actually pay back and pay back on a proper monthly way. I might want to consider my closeness to a church in order to participate in a good fellowship of believers. I might be convinced that we're going to have children and I think it's best for at least the first several years of the children's lives that the mother or father, but likely the mother, will be the one who will be at home with them. That sometimes costs. I, I had some friends in Bible college that went that route. They lived in Toronto and they ended up renting an apartment while they had their children so that he could work and she could be at home and raising them. And remember, the most important thing you can do as parents is raise disciples for Jesus. So we need to buy a house or rent a house that fits with the principles and precepts of Scripture. So what are we saying? From our point of view, decision-making is simply using the wisdom God has given us in his word by his spirit to choose the best route for his glory. It is to know, it is to obey God's word on a daily basis. To grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. It is to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, as Paul says. Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, you've been here for this message, and I haven't said anything new to you. Everything I've said, I'm sure you've heard before. The Christian life is a pretty simple life, really. I mean, 
God's given us his word, the revealed things. And he doesn't want us to try to, you know, figure out all the details in the blueprint. Not concerned about that. He just wants us to be obedient to him now. And you know what is so very clear? If you have a ship on the sea that is moving briskly and it's going in the right direction, it just takes a little work of the rudder to make it go left or right, right? No big deal. This is what God does in our lives. I want to just close with um, an illustration for you of my own life. I gave you uh, an earlier one, but I'd like to give you another one because I think it will help you to see that we have gone through, in my family and I, some very difficult things in our lives, and um, we've made a lot of decisions and gone a lot of different ways. I mean, at 45, you're doing a new job? I understand that that can happen, but it's not what you really plan on, is it? So this illustration really starts about 1992. Sharon and I and our two girls had been born by then. We're pastoring in a church in Quebec called Dalesville. You wouldn't know that. It's near Brownsburg. You probably wouldn't know that. It's near La Chute. You might know that. And uh, so we were there for 11 years. And up to that point, we were only there for six or seven years. And I had just gone through a major burnout. And we were rethinking, okay, what, what should we do now? Should we remain in the pastorate or should we move maybe into teaching? And therefore, to go into teaching, you need to get more education. I had my Master of Divinity, but that's not good enough. So uh, I checked things out, found out that Conrad Grable College, which is in uh, University of Waterloo, they had a one-year master's program, and from there I could get into something like U of T in their PhD program. So that was the plan. We, we sort of were thinking, this was around January, we were thinking this, and the plans were moving ahead nicely. And uh, we, you know, February, March, April, things are looking very good going in this direction. Sharon was packing. Now, she had to do it carefully because people were constantly in her house, and so she had to be careful how she packed so that it didn't look like we were going because we didn't want to tell anyone, right, because we didn't know exactly for sure we were going. But by the time June came around, we were pretty sure we were going. And then I found out. I thought, I'll just check this to make sure. I called one of the, um, well, I guess the principal of Wycliffe College, and I asked him, this is in U of T, if I get this degree here, can I now come here and be accepted? He said no. I thought he had told me yes, but he said no. Talking about crushed. And remember, I'm still recovering from the burnout. I'll tell you, I was pretty angry at God. 
I thought, you know what? You led me all this way. You started me on this path in January. You think you could have let me know in, say, February that you didn't want me going? We thought we were doing what it is that you do to determine the will of God. Seek his face and go after him and do his will. It ended up with this awful halting. Well, it's interesting. What happened after that is, by the way, I had, I had told the head deacon, because that was we didn't have elders there, I told the head deacon that I was leaving about a week before. <laughs> I had to go back to him and say, no, uh, I'm not leaving. <laughs> they were okay with that. That was good. But it didn't get past that one man. But anyways, uh, that was interesting. Well, I had a friend who was in the church at that time. And she was taking her master's degree at McGill. And she said, Barry, you should apply to religious studies department." I thought, no, I don't want to go there. It's a secular school. It's, it's liberal. Why would I want to go there? Well, once this happened, I thought, well, maybe this is what I should do. So I applied. And I got accepted. And I started in that following January going to McGill. The very place I didn't think I should be going or wanted to go, I ended up going. And you know what? It was the greatest experience I have had an education because I was pressed and pushed to think about my Christianity in a context of liberalism. At the same time, I met one man who was uh, about my age, who was doing the same thing. He was a fellowship Baptist from out in BC and moved to Montreal to do this, the same thing. We became very dear friends, and he, would, he, was, he was one of these you know, really brilliant types. So he was teaching me. I was learning not only in classes, but I was learning from him. It's fantastic. I ended up getting my master's, and then Sheridan and I had to determine, what are we going to do now? Are we going to go for the PhD or not? This was in 96, because going for the PhD is something you can't do part-time as I was doing the MA. It meant four to five years of full-time if you're going to do it. So what did we do? We were thinking maybe this is the way the Lord's leading us so that I'll go into teaching. What did we do? We prayed about it. We made sure that we're walking with Christ. We ended up asking people who we respected as godly people. In particular, we asked uh, Sharon's parents who are believers and my parents who aren't believers and asked them what they thought. They all said, Barry, go for it. And I had a mentor. And that mentor, as I talked with him, he said, Barry, is this a dream of yours? I said, yes, it is. He said, go for it. Well, we ended up moving to Van Cleek Hill, which is near Hawkesbury, Ontario. You may know that, maybe not. Halfway between Ottawa and Montreal on the Ontario side. We moved there and bought a house. It was cheaper to buy a house than it was to rent one. So we ended up doing that again. Decision making, trying to determine. Because we looked at houses and we looked at different options and the Lord just led us to this one situation and it was the house that Sharon wanted, she liked. 
And you know what? It was wonderful. We ended up paying, I think on a monthly basis, I think it was around 600, well, this was back in the mid-90s, $600 a month. Uh, rent, I think, at that time was seven or 800 And then what happened? Well, I went through and got my courses, had to do some coursework, and then I had to do comprehensives, and then I had to do my dissertation. Well, 1999, I'm completing my dissertation. Well, actually, just before I start my dissertation, my professor dies, my supervisor. So I have to go to another supervisor who is, is not so good in the area. He helped me, he was a good man, and I ended up failing my oral, actually I ended up failing my written presentation and didn't even get to my oral in 1999. Remember, I, I've been believing that this is God's will for me to actually get to do teaching, I need my PhD. I was questioning, Lord, is this really what, why would you allow me to, to fail this? Well, it turned out at the same time, Sharon, my wife, came down with MS. She was hit hard at the very same time that I was failed. She was hit hard with her, with MS. And uh, she uh, had problems with her sight, numbness down one side. Her, uh, her, her, her foot really didn't work properly. And we didn't know what the future held for us with regard to her. Well, I ended up going back to school. And I started to work with another professor who was very encouraging. And he said... Your thesis is good. We just need to tweak it a little bit. And so for the next year, I tweaked it. I got it done. I handed it in, and I passed. And actually, it was graded by the external reader as top 10%. Things turned around. And by June, remember it was March that Sharon was sick? By June, her body was recovering. She was clearly determined to have multiple sclerosis. And she was feeling much, much better than she was earlier on. And that was the point at which we became the pastor of that local church. And then after that, we came here. I tell you all of that because I want you to see that the life of the believer is one of great ups and downs. And we do not control those things. What I do control is my attitude and my commitment to Christ regardless of what happens. We will bear the cross. We're called to. Following Christ is not easy. But I will tell you, I lived a life prior to Christ, and I had lots of things in my teenage years. I was older than most of you here before I was converted. And I, I know what the world was, and I was very much involved in it. And you know what? There isn't anything, anything at all as joyous and as great as the life I have now in Christ.
And I can say that through all those difficulties. Why? Because Christ is who he is. He is the Lord, and he is my Lord, and he is my Savior, and his Father is my Father, and he loves me, and he guides me, and he simply says, Barry, do not worry about the unrevealed things. I will take care of those. You trust me and walk with me. And as I pray and seek those things, he has constantly guided me. And all I can say is praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we struggle, and, and you know that we struggle with these things. We, uh, we want to do your will. Um, but we, we do struggle with trying to figure out why you're doing certain things and why sometimes you're making things difficult. And even when we're making decisions, we can make decisions and know that you're in it. And so we ask, Father, that you will help us to trust you, to walk with you. And we pray for each of the students here that are having to make some major decisions concerning the future. Pray that you'll help them to keep their eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.